0: Okay, with Eric Weeks, he's a direct, uh, director. This is an experimental documentary film, The Great Basin, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Desert. Uh, there's a lot of interesting elements into this in this film. It's about obviously about uh, uh climate change, it's about gun culture. How would you kind of sum up this film thematically, Eric? Uh one of the questions that you asked and interviews,
1: uh, describe the film in two words. Okay. And my answer to that is Fever Dream, um, which is kind of how the film came about. It's such an amalgamation of of different aspects of my concerns, and that goes everywhere from, from environmental concerns to uh, the things that have happened in the United States uh, towards Indigenous people, uh, towards, uh, you know, using land, kicking people off of land, uh, you know, detonating over 900 atomic bombs in, in the state of Nevada, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also all this other t- stuff that kind of gets thrown in, which is my own experience um, uh, growing up in the United States specifically. And the uh, all of the media content, that, that came out in the late 60s, uh, the 1970s, that still kind of defined my experience in some ways. And so a lot of uh, the footage uh, leans on that, you know, from, from TV commercials, uh, Palmolive, you're soaking in it to, uh, you know, to Elvis and and Muhammad Ali. Um, and then all of that is dovetailed in with my relationship with my father, who very uh, uh, suddenly passed away a year and a half ago from a heart attack. He was in his early 80s, uh, you know, a very strong man and worked in construction his entire life, and very surprisingly just passed away from a heart attack. So it was uh, part of making this film was me processing that as well and processing uh, my upbringing in. in in a symbiotic relationship with what i was uh, learning about and thinking about while in nevada and so so I, this is the way that i talk by the way i
0: kind of like in tangents and somehow come back um that's what your film was about your your film was exactly and, uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that's your personality so there your film's got rewatchability all written all over it because especially if you're in, from a certain generation where there's all these kind of pulp culture uh, references, like as you described, like you got Elvis. I think you even got, uh, when Brando won the, like this is just, uh, I like, uh, speaking a lot, when Brando won the Oscar, when the he brought up the girl to uh, accept the Oscar for indigenous people not being treated respectfully. I, you had, so basically I'm just throwing that out there, but you have like a hundred like pulp culture moments and like moments in our society. Well, Walt, Walt Disney, I think you had for a couple seconds, right? There's
1: all kinds of things laid in there yeah. that, that i forget about
0: and i watch it again
1: one of the things that that i teach photography and video and i've done it for a long time on the college level one of the things that i, I preach about is a being a, a a fan of your own work and b having artwork that can continue to unfold so you don't get everything the first time you watch it or look at it that it yeah. opens up that you can come back to it time and again and this film does that for me like i grabbed all of those clips and put them together but while i'm watching it all of a sudden you know there is a a clip that happens a couple of times which is just a voiceover of willie nelson saying something about and you cross the great basin alone and i grabbed that off of an audiobook that you know and so it's just like there's stuff that that you can't even know about that's happening in the film it's like willie nelson is in that film
0: <laughs> yeah and you had like a, a godfather reference godfather 2 right in the Absolutely. Like so kind of gave away the ending of that movie, but yeah. <laughs> so okay, so what is then, of course, all the, the western kind of movies, right? Like that you went you went back to, and there is a through line. You have to like, well, like I said, like it's this this is an emotional punch. This movie has an emotional punch to it. So then Sinatra, of course, you like bunnies, lots of bunnies in the movie. Um, where like how did it come together for you? Like, I'm just curious, did you like write a script? was like a actual script written for this movie or like, how does it like, cause it's mostly editing of obviously. Right. So I'm curious about the process of putting this all together. It was
1: probably my most process oriented, uh, artwork that I've made in my life in that I really was rolling with the, with what was happening and responding to it. And so there's absolutely no script whatsoever. I started, um, I started out by having made other films, and I wanted to make a film that was away from an urban area. All of the other films that I've made was about the way that that urban space is structured and how people pass through it. And so I applied for this uh, residency uh, called the Montello Foundation and wanted to be as far away from civilization as possible. That was the start of it. And I had no idea that it would end up uh, what ended up happening. Uh, So I went out there and I was just capturing, you know, I had a whole bunch of different cameras from a a Black Magic Pocket camera, you know, that, that, you know, captures beautiful, uh, you know, 4K to my iPhone to a Pocket Osmo to a GoPro. I had all these different little tools and I was playing with all of them. But while I was there, uh, you know, just, spending time with the sagebrush in the in the in the area i was reading a lot and a lot of things came up that i had known about in the past you know i grew up i'm old enough that i remember you know nuclear threat and and you know that uh worried about you know what would happen there, there was still the cold war in the 70s you know early mm.
0: 80s. Now you grew and, up in the 70s right for people like I, yeah
1: i was born in 65 so right. Yeah, so, um, you know, my first memories, you know, strong memories are early 70s. And uh, again, I go off on tangents uh, about how this came about. Absolutely not uh, uh, scripted at all. It was me responding to what I was reading, what I was capturing. And I realized that what I wanted to say, there's no way that I could do that just through my own capture. And so I started looking at clips on YouTube and started appropriating them. And this is the very first piece that I've ever appropriated uh, others' work. I've referenced work in the past quite often, uh, having been influenced by uh, anything from literature to to films to jazz music. And I would embed that in my still photographs in very subtle ways. But here's the first time I'm actually grabbing something and bringing it in uh, and... uh, And so it just built on itself. And so I I got some excellent feedback from some people, my wife, a couple of uh, uh, close colleagues that the very beginning of the film has a montage where it kind of introduces everything that's going to happen in the film and that didn't exist at first that that came through somebody suggesting that i was like you know it's a great idea so very open to other people you know response and so i was putting it out there and it just you know i just kept editing it and just kept saying oh i could add this or i could add this layer to it or maybe i should move this out or maybe that's a little bit too heavy-handed like i had some some uh you know some cartoons that are pretty overtly racist, and yeah, like I, Bugs Bunny, the Bugs
0: Bunny. Yes, yes,
1: right. and right. it's pointed at there. You know Bugs Bunny shooting arrows at at a uh, at Native Americans. Um, but there's uh, a lot worse. That uh, specifically, my wife had a great suggestion. It was like, well, maybe you back off, and you you don't necessarily need to hit people over the head with it, and so.
0: Well, you scared me because those are the cartoons I watched as a kid, right? So I'm like, "Wow, it is, yeah." And looking back, it is a little bit racist. Yeah. Oh my
1: gosh. There's there's uh, there's some pretty bad stuff that that was happening. You know that that was being put out there. It's really kind of kind of amazing. And so the, the, there was that part of me that didn't want to uh, perpetuate that too. I wanted to go and point to it without without actually uh, you know showing it again.
0: Well, you show the, like, even like, uh, like when you're watching your film, you can see that there's, there's a, there's a television influence <laughs> that, that basically that you grew up watching a lot of, I'm assuming you grew up watching television, a lot of commercials. You keep going back to the, the cowboy boy, the cowboy who's sitting in front of the television. Seems like he needs to go to the washroom. He's like, <laughs> but, uh. But it's like, it's sort of like, was that kind of you in a sense? Or were you consciously or consciously even thinking of that? Definitely stands in as a, you know, a, a, as a
1: surrogate for myself. And then there's uh, some clips from behind of a very little boy um, jumping up and down. as like in a little red jumper. That's actually me. Um, you know, okay. the footage that my father had shot. And so, yes, I was very much a child of the era and watched a lot of television i don't watch any television at all. i don't have cable tv now i uh my wife and i will stream something on netflix sure. once in a while but i'm rarely you know but back then you know with the five channels there was always i was there for hours every single day and I, so many of those commercial jingles were were uh you know they just like they're earworms. They get stuck there for the rest of your life. Yeah, they do. Yeah the uh, the reason why I had the various uh commercials about guns, you know, it's like that little boy is like he lost watching a western, the one that you mentioned, yeah. and then the other boys are like, you know, that was something that was. I'm I'm very much. I don't own a gun. I don't want to have a gun. I don't want to be anywhere near a gun. Um, but you know growing up that was i was running around playing army you know that was just like you know something that was embedded where everybody got a little plastic gun and and it was on tv and that you know that was a, a something to to strive towards which is you know kind of it, it blows my mind the uh, what was promoted as you know uh, positive uh, role models and culture at that time and that's what i hope my film kind of like suggests like whoa look at this this is what they were saying was good you know
0: well they're definitely they're definitely indoctrinating the the gun influence like the gun kind of fascination that american culture has with kids television shows right with the kids like even the commercials and like you're watching as a kid and it's like oh i should have a gun too right it's like it's such an unconscious thing if you're watching you're constantly watching this on television growing up right like Oh, guns must be cool, and guns must be good, even in the cartoon shows, right? They have guns. Yeah, so
1: it it offers agency and empower- empowerment, right? Or that's the way that it's put forward. Yeah, uh, or at least was. But I think that even now, you know, I would go to video games rather than, I don't know what cartoons are like on television these days, but you know, video games. So much of it has to do with. With, uh, you know, using guns and, and uh, you know, reaching your goal in, in uh, you know, loss of other people's, you know, lives, etc.
0: Well, yeah, like there, every video game, it's like someone is going to die, right? Like someone, like even the Mario video games, like he, you know, like he's he's got to kill the person <laughs> in the end, right? It's to move on right. to the next level, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. it's again it's like there's actually you know dying is kind of (laughs) a little bit uh uh, more uh, more difficult to come back from
0: (laughs) yeah but then within the video games you usually have three lives or you can sometimes you can get uh, new lives right which (laughs) maybe is teaching kids the wrong message who knows yeah
1: yeah. Who knows? But, you know, like you look at at violence today in the United States and gun violence and, and, you know, mass killing and, and you know, we're not here to solve those issues here. But, you know, I think that it's all tied together. Yeah,
0: it's not like people like to throw the gun control thing like meaning that. Yeah. If you have less guns, there's going to be less violence. But it's not just one thing. Right. There is you have to take take taking stock of like pop culture and movies and television and video games. That's a that's a part of it. That's a small part of what of the problem that's going on with the mass shootings in the states.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mental health issues, you right. know, getting yeah. people that uh, help, you know, people that feel alienated, you know, uh, bringing them into the community. You know, there's a there's a lot of reasons uh, separate from just the availability of guns. Absolutely.
0: And you also show in the film like uh, like a lot of the um, indigenous uh, kind of scenes like the tv shows the 60s and 70s of like just the the overt racist characters (laughs) that are playing these these characters right like uh uh they're always the they're always the villain right so
1: yes yep and john wayne you know it's just amazing he made an an entire career you know out of uh killing those engines yeah yeah There's a wonderful aspect of uh, this weird uh, confluence of uh, a story. John Wayne was filming the film Genghis Khan and he was playing Genghis Khan and they did a a nuclear test in Nevada and the fallout went right over the set where they were filming in Arizona, Mm. even though the government had said, oh, you're fine, don't worry about it. It was either Arizona or Utah that they were filming and uh, yeah, almost everybody in that production ended up with some kind of cancer, including John Wayne.
0: How come that, I don't. How come that's not even known more? I didn't even know that story. I didn't even know that. that no,
1: know. it's out there. It's out there. You go and you know look up enough about John Wayne, and that's going to come up. That um, you know, he uh, died from cancer maybe 15 years later but if you just look up Genghis Khan and and uh you know nuclear fallout you'll find it it's up there
0: and then you got Elvis a lot you Elvis keeps coming back right yeah Uh,
1: and so one of the things that Elvis
0: skinny Elvis good looking Elvis all different versions I guess right
1: my mom was 18 in 1958 and so she was a huge Elvis fan and so I grew up with the the you know, vinyl LPs playing them when I was young it was the first music that I really listened to. And uh, you know, what ended up happening to him, I just find so tragic. And so montaging him with uh evil Shing, yeah. You know, they both wore same similar kind of outfits in the 70s, but both of them it, it seemed seems to me that both of them really and the, and the song that Elvis is even singing really uh, is very, very much needed public approval and and acceptance and and love separately from just the people that they were close to, but but even a larger one. and And so that's why I've montaged both of those together because both of their lives are pretty tragic, and both of that yearning and and uh, longing is somewhat tragic too.
0: And didn't evil evil knievel's son start doing it as well like like he just
1: passed away recently too yeah robbie knievel passed robbie away knievel,
0: like he did it like so it's just interesting that he like you're talking about like there's this the need for acceptance need to be and his son did the same thing right like that car that car that crash that you showed not the car crash the bicycle like dude, he's like it's like how do you even survive from that like from that crash I mean, is so for months and months he i think he broke 40
1: on bones that was when he was jumping um uh, i think there are buses uh in the caesar's casino parking yeah. lot, and uh yeah he was in the hospital for months after that but still then he did the snake river jump with the rocket and you
0: know <laughs> showing just, that in slow motion that like that's so like oh my god it's just so hard to watch that, that and people like i guess are fascinated by it during that time right they there was like musty events when he was doing his next stunt, I guess.
1: Absolutely. So it was uh, often, um, I think it was on the Wide World of Sports. Channel yeah. 7 in New York, ABC was the Wide World of Sports. And uh, something like that, whether it be a Muhammad Ali fight or an Evel Knievel jump, those were televised in big events, usually on a Saturday. Yeah. and uh, And so I was certainly watching those with my dad. And, you know, my dad was a construction worker that we didn't, you know, he was a disciplinarian. He was not communicative, but it was something that we could share Um, were were these kind of uh, shared cultural moments that were uh, wrapped around sports in a weird way.
0: Yeah, well, I just I just read uh, Dick Emerson's book. Uh, He's a big famous sports producer and he was he was one of the he did a lot of the, the segments for wild world sports back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, yeah, just a sensational aspect to it. Right. Like even the way they set up the show, right. They, this is people, people are like, who are they talking about? Right. Anybody, anybody who's like under 30, right. Or even under 40 probably is like, they Oh, I, so, I just about so
1: it. totally think about that. You know, it's like, you know, I show my work to my students, you know, are 18 to 22. Yeah. And I think they were like, okay, yeah, Elvis, but you know, Dick Ebersole, the wide world of sports, towards the end of my film, the the song is uh and there's like a silhouette of a cameraman that is from the 430 movie that uh you know people only 10 years younger, than me, 15 years younger than me don't know what the 430 movie was, which was also on ABC Channel 7
0: yeah. in the
1: New York area. Every 430 during the week, uh there was some kind of great 1940s, 1950s uh film. You know, it's like so that's where I saw a lot of my 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 gotcha. early movies was yeah. was watching the 430 movie
0: yeah gotcha no it's so it's so interesting so okay so let's talk about how this film and then sorry one last thing uh was it hee or bonanza i can't i don't even know what you kept on going back it was a hee that, that that show well there's both there's both there's some bonanza in there too okay. but but
1: uh you what you're talking about is hee-haw where the two yeah. people are singing That show sure scared where. me as a kid <laughs> oh, my father made us watch it because my father was from the South yeah. and, uh, but we grew up in New Jersey and uh, that was something that I had to sit through, you know, although there was, looking back, there's some really great classic country like Buck Owens was, was on it and he was, he was real. He was the real deal. Um, yeah. So that was a, a song that they sang every single episode was it was Goldie a,
0: Hawn on that? Sh- she was on that show too, right? Was it was it Goldie Hawn? I don't
1: know. I don't yeah. know if Goldie Hawn or was Minnie Pearl. Um, yeah. she always wore the hat with the with the uh, price tag still on it. Yeah, um, yeah. It
0: was uh, it just it just reminding me of like it was a world I'm from. I'm Canadian, so it was like a world that I had no idea existed. It's it like it frightened me as a child to watch <laughs> that show
1: i can understand that benny hill frightened me
0: benny, well, benny, <laughs> yeah. yeah benny hills i used to watch benny hill it was it's it's creepy now because of what we learned about him so it's a different yeah. context when he's chasing after the girls right but very sexist yeah. show but uh but when i was a kid i don't know it probably didn't it probably didn't do me well but i used to watch benny hill when i was a kid
1: it was too slapsticky for me you know and that's what <laughs>
0: would bother me i was like but, but he was now also, you like, know he was there. He was a sex. He was a predator, a sex predator. He was chasing yes. after girls mm-hmm. on the show, right? So,
1: right, 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 right. That was the premise of the show, basically. Is you'd be running off.
0: Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad to look back. Okay, so let's talk about the how this film got put together. So it's fifteen minutes, like beginning to end, so much footage, right? So how how long did it take you to kind of like you said you didn't write a script? Like how long did it take you to kind of put it all together? Was like a side project for you or? It,
1: because I teach. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but I'm, but, you know, very fortunately, a college professor doesn't have to, uh, you know, teach every single day of the, of the week. Yeah. And so I was just working on it, you know, a couple of days a week, uh, you know, pretty full on. Uh, uh there's so much, you know, on the cutting room floor that, you know, from just the capture that I made when I was in Nevada, both during the residency in the northeast corner of Nevada, and then uh, a number of months later, I went to Las Vegas and then traveled out of Las Vegas to go and uh, go to the Colorado River and the Hoover Dam and, and uh, you know, uh, ghost mining towns and things like that there's so much of just my footage that didn't end up in it but i've got you know they're just folders and folders uh on a hard drive of uh all kinds of things that i captured the way that i captured any of those clips is it was all youtube and i was just uh doing a kind of screenshot with a with a software you know Um, you can buy a software that will allow you to go and uh you know uh, record your your screen and um so a lot of time was just uh, just spent, you know just researching finding new clips and and copying them and that's putting them into folders and filing it away and and um you know it's just like there was so much it's so much there and at some point I just had to say okay I had to pull back and um because it could have easily been 30 minutes long
0: yeah and you had to like figure out like when when's the end point i guess right you had to like get to go okay what how what am i going to abandon this project because i can go on forever in a sense right
1: yeah yeah and uh i i could totally have gone on forever and the funny thing about the film is in some ways it uh it has a number of different almost seems like it's going to end You know, um, it's going and going and then there's just kind of somewhat of a climax, like there's a climax with the with the uh, clip that I'm riffing on from 2001 from Kubrick's, you know, with the you know, and, and you think, okay, maybe it's going to end at the end of this, and then it keeps on going on. So even in the 15 minutes, there's this uh, continual kind of, whoa, there's more here. And yeah, I could have certainly have done that. But I'm really, really pleased that I controlled my, my instinct of really wanting to <laughs> make it longer. And I the 15 minutes was just an arbitrary number at a certain point. It's like, I got to, I got to go and call it
0: here. Yeah. 'Cause when, well, how did you pick all the commercials, right? Like you 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 what was it? The canned the canned turkey? You went oh, the
1: canned chicken. The canned chicken is chicken. just something that is in my life, It's something that I I ran into and I'd started showing it uh, in lighter moments in my classes, you know, because I have a really, you know, uh, they're photography classes, you know? And so we're not, uh, we're, we're enjoying each other's company. And it's like, Oh, you guys got to see this. They actually make a chicken in a can. <laughs> and So I had known about that for a few years and, uh, and had to put it in my film, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, I, I have a lot of jingles and a lot of songs uh, that that are stuck in my head. I have friends that we kind of like pass back and forth, uh, uh, you know, uh Instagram scenes of the Sopranos or or yeah, the Godfather. So it's kind of my life. I like have this yeah. stuff floating around in my brain all the time. And so if really the film kind of is okay, this is what is in my brain, sometimes boom, gonna put it down on on a canvas.
0: Yeah and then so you you mix uh Doctor Strange love with Hee like the contrast right and then uh mm-hmm. like uh like Elvis with Evil Knievel like there's like this kind of like and then the commercial like the Kool-Aid commercial I guess kind of gets thrown in Twix commercial is it the Twix uh the cereal right uh, that gets thrown yeah, in yeah. all these mm-hmm. like commercials and and yeah the Kool-Aid guy right smashing through the walls
1: Right. And so sometimes those things function almost as metaphor or or double entendre, you know, it's like it it is the thing itself, but it's also representing, you know, uh, something more than itself. You know, it's like uh, Marlon Perkins in Mutual of Omaha, holding a turtle and talking about how, you know, you'll be protected with Mutual of Omaha's you know <laughs> insurance and then all of a sudden you have you know uh bombs detonating
0: yeah yeah it's a, it's, a, it's like we you are we're a product of television right and it's like this generation this is what it kind of got for me it was like we're a product of television but this generation is not watching television they're watching streaming they're not even watching commercials anymore there's like like you know what I mean? They just watch like they watch like YouTube videos, or they'll watch like they'll binge watch Paw Patrol or something, right? Like, or
1: TikTok. They're watching each other's TikTok, content.
0: Yeah, like the older yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's just like it's it's a commercial, but it's not it's not a commercial to the end like that. They actually, there's so many commercials out there, right? It's just that, they're, but they're now masked as entertainment, I guess.
1: Right, and I imagine I wouldn't know because I'm, I'm I'm who I am, but. But I imagine that there, in some ways, isn't the same kind of uh, mass uh, uh, shared media uh, experience. You know, it's like back in the 70s and 80s, there are only a few channels. And, you know, that's what everybody was watching was before Google and the Internet. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, so you know, I bring up something, uh, you know, like uh Kool-Aid to somebody of my generation and they know the commercials. They remember, you know, the, the, the picture yeah. breaking through the wall. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, we all know that. And I, I, I imagine that, that younger generations don't have that same kind of shared shared language. Yeah. And so I, I feel kind of fortunate. Maybe I'm not speaking to those earlier generations, but I feel very fortunate in being able to have a shared language that, that I could communicate uh, with others uh, you know, that that you know, are going to watch it and have the same memories and the same connotations from it. So
0: you have. Um, so basically, back in the 70s, you had ABC, uh, CBS and NBC, right? You had three stage three. Mm-hmm like commercial Three
1: stations stuff. then there were two local ones which was uh, channel 9 and channel 11 as any and wnew and wpix and that's where the mets and the yankees were broadcast and, and then reruns basically and channel 13 was pbs
0: pbs yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah.
1: eventually mm, eventually channel 5 came along uh and that was fox but i think that, that was, was
0: like
1: early, in the late 80s right yeah mid 80s something like that yeah yeah, yeah. And so, right. So there weren't that many choices and, uh, you know, people were watching the same thing and you couldn't hide from the commercials either.
0: Yeah. And, but you were, would be the, I guess the, like you're, everybody was watching like, had, like at nighttime, you had three, three options, right. Three TV shows. And then, and then uh, they would be like the, the eight o'clock till 11 PM hours. You had the three hour block of the primetime television shows. So either sitcom or, they used to have movies of the weeks back then, right? And mm-hmm. they are like, like um, primetime st- hour shows or sitcoms. So the point I'm trying to make is that now it's like they don't, nobody, every, everybody's watching a hundred different things, right? So hundred mm-hmm. different people are watching a hundred different things. So everybody, everything's kind of spread thin in a sense. Nobody has those reference points that, as, as you mentioned, I guess, right?
1: Sure. And so you even look at the '90s, the must-see TV on NBC. Yeah, you know, yeah. Friends and Seinfeld. Running home, yeah. Yeah. Seinfeld, especially. Yeah, everybody was running home so that they could see that week Seinfeld because you couldn't stream it and see it at some other point. Yeah. You know, the, the, the ritual involved for my family. The ritual was on Sundays. At 7.30, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom came on. It was really the only nature show and, and the only game in town. And so that was from 7.30 until 8. At During that time is when dessert came out. And so we're all watching TV, and my mom would bring out either some butterscotch pudding or some apple turnovers with some vanilla ice cream melting on top of it. or You know, it's a wonderful memories. Um, and then after that would be the... Uh, wild world of disney and it was some kind of uh some some kind of uh you know disney product whether it be a, a family movie or something like that that would take you to bedtime
0: and then so then like so in the 90s and you just brought musty tv so like a show like friends which is on eight o'clock would do 30 million people right and then mm-hmm. carson Johnny Carson, 1130, he would do 17 million, 17 million people used to watch his show, right? Now, now, like you said, you don't have cable. Well, it's like less than a million people. So like if I show show on cable, show on like ABC right now at eight o'clock, whatever, gets a million viewers, that's a success, right? So it tells you where we are in is the last doubled. 30 years, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, and the population's close to doubled. You know, so they are even getting a smaller percentage of the possible, uh, you know, viewing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's more people and there's like, but then like everything's spread spread thin, right? So, basically, it's a whole new world. Like, we, you think for like, fi- like almost from like 2010, let's say 2000, so 1950, whatever t- TV, so almost like 50, 60 years, television was kind of the same. And then all of a sudden, everything has changed in the last like 10, 15 years, right? So absolutely and so who knows what the the point i guess the grand point is that what's the next generation going to be like What are they going to be what's the reference points going to be what's how are they going to react it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see
1: it will be and it's really interesting i don't really understand how you know music was such a big part of my my you know uh, teenage high school college after college i played in a band and you know it was really important uh, I liked punk bands that were playing in New York and, and uh, part of my identity was that I knew about them and I went and saw them and, and now, you know, it's like uh, younger people, they can find out anything just by Googling it on the internet, but then there's all these different genres. There's like so much more choice in a lot of ways with music so i don't understand quite unless you're a swifty you know and you're going after taylor swift i don't know how there's a shared musical taste experience either you know it's like it's all it's all a mystery to me
0: but that said she's like taylor you said swifty taylor swift like she's she's the aberration she's the exception because everybody knows who she is she's been going around for 15 years right like and she's still still producing great music well it's all subjective but meaning that popular music i guess right and uh and basically yeah so everybody knows who she is so there's there's always those exceptions those people just who branch out in pop culture that that they become they become known by everybody around the world so
1: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so all right man what did you think about the audience what did you think about what the audience had to say from our festival about your film
1: uh, I, I really appreciate it so much uh, it really made me um, feel very fulfilled that that people understood what I was doing you know that even though it is not a, a straightforward film in any sense that there was still a clarity of mes- message that they, they got the message and I did it by tossing all this stuff and kind of throwing it at at the viewer and you know people responded it was really quite quite beautiful I, I played them for my wife um stacy and and she was just like wow that's so beautiful you know it was like it, it was really very it, the, the word is fulfilling that you know it really uh let me know that i'm i'm communicating what i want to communicate successfully
0: that's amazing. All right. Well, great. It's a great film. It's like I said. It's I've watched it a few times, and it's like it's it could be like an installation in a in a, in a like a, a like um, sorry, I just got a brain freeze there. Like at a museum or something like that, right? Like where it's just like it just kind of keeps repeating on keeps repeating itself. So it's got that kind of appeal to it. That's
1: what I do with my other films. Is that um, it's a, the film is one component of an exhibition, and so right yeah. now. My 26 Wawa uh, uh, project is uh, exhibiting in Philadelphia, and that includes the film looping, and it also has a book component, and it also has a print component. So I'm pulling stills off the film and and printing them as photographs, still photographs. And so they're uh, framed and hanging on the wall. And so that's the idea with this This project. um, I actually have the book dummy here. Uh, So- yeah, so I've created a book that's that's pulling um, stills oh, wow. onto the film. It also has a short story that I that I, I uh, ghost wrote <laughs> under a gnome de plume. But it's taking different different images from the film and doing a collage some some uh, text from the audio etc and so there's this aspect and and my hope is that i can find a venue um where i can also uh, show the film uh projected display the book sell the book and uh have prints on the wall so that that's that's kind of my game with, with it all
0: that's amazing yeah well that's, can people buy the book now or no
1: the book is at the printer the proof is accepted um It. uh, I'm just waiting to get the. the, They're running them, and then they have to bind them. I should have them in the next few weeks, and it'll be up on my. It'll be up on my website. I'm hoping there's a. uh, One of my other books, Twenty Six Wawa Stores, is uh, sold at Printed Matter, which is both online and a physical two physical stores in New York City that sell artist books um these books are limited edition so this one's a small edition of just 150 so get them while they're hot
0: awesome <laughs> well we'll have a link to the uh, on the on the podcast to to your film uh thank you very much for your time and let's thank talk about when the next film is made
1: thank you matthew i really appreciate everything uh just wonderful experience working with you one two three four five